0: Uh, check out their website, NPTEFF.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I have the esteemed pleasure tonight of announcing several of our new co-hosts. Uh, these people will be coming on the show and they will be interviewing people about the latest and greatest in teaching and learning, uh, trying to help all people in healthcare academia uh, find the best practices for how we can teach and learn uh, so that we can better serve our patients down the line. We'll start it off with, uh, with one simple question here, and, and Dr. Don Brown, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about uh, your educational journey and how it led you to where you are today.
1: Okay. Thank you for for having us on. I'm excited to be a part of this team. So my educational journey began 20 plus years ago, back at Northwestern, bachelor's in psychology, my master's at Northwestern in physical therapy, practiced for a while, decided that, I wanted to go more into academic teaching, but did not have the clinical doctorate nor the academic doctorate. So maybe 15 years into my career, I decided to get my clinical doctorate so I can enter academia. But then, of course, as we know, to have a little bit of staying power, I had to get another degree. So my academic doctorate. So I'm currently in the EDD program at Northern Illinois University in the higher education administration program uh, with a focus on leadership. And so being a clinician and transitioning into academia seemed like a natural process because physical therapists are by nature teachers. We're teaching our patients, we have students. So we're teaching our students, whether we're a CI, a clinical instructor, or a site coordinator of clinical education. So for me, the natural journey was to go formally into a physical therapy program and teach our next generation of physical therapists from that realm.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I don't understand why the clinical DPT isn't enough to uh, to teach at the DPT level, but uh, you know CAPTI is what it is. And so I, I kind of did the same thing. I was like, well, I don't want to teach now, but maybe I'll teach eventually, maybe around retirement time. So I'll, I'll get an EDD and it'll be nice to fall back on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then COVID hit and things kind of changed, took a left turn and now here I am teaching again, right? Well, Don, tell me a little bit about your areas of expertise, your your areas of interest. What what do you specialize in? What do you love learning about? What do you what do you like uh, uh, you know interviewing people on and kind of talking about and chatting about? Um, what what can we expect from you coming down the pipeline here over the next c- couple months?
1: Yeah. So from a clinical perspective, I'm a board certified clinical specialist in orthopedic physical therapy. So from a clinical side, I love teaching my courses on differential diagnosis. I I joke with my students that if I were not a physical therapist, I would totally be a crime scene investigator. And so to me to teach that class, it kind of is part of that realm. So my orthopedic classes, my advanced exercise prescription classes, love that from a teaching perspective. But with regards to education and with regards to Leadership, that's my wheelhouse. And so my research centers around leadership and physical therapy education and clinical practice um, because I'm a firm believer that a title, a leadership title does not confirm that you are a leader. And unfortunately in physical therapy, much like many other entities, whether it's in business or other healthcare professionals, many people become leaders in title only and they don't necessarily know how to lead people. You might know your roles and your responsibilities with regards to your job, but do you truly know how to lead people to inspire them, to empower them, to motivate them? And when I think about it from the physical therapy realm, our job or one of our main jobs as physical therapy educators is to lead our students and inspire and empower the next generation of physical therapists. And so when, and so my, my research in that regard is fundamental, always through an element of DEI, because in order to make change with our profession, whether it's change at the educational level or change at the clinical level, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to make sure that we have a diversity of leadership um, to be more representative of the patients who are impacted by what we do in society.
0: Yeah, I mean, never has it been more timely to, to you know, use diversity and inclusion, especially after the APTA, uh, you know, decided that that was going to be one of their pillars. I think, uh, you know, I don't understand quite why inclusion wasn't just an automatic thing, but here we are, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to hear about a lot, a lot of the uh, interviews and stuff you've got coming down the line, but, uh, we'll, we'll finish up with this. Then we ask every, every, uh, guest on the episode uh, on our episodes, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether that be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change? Why would you change it? And how would you change it?
1: One aspect in higher education and, specifically with physical therapy programs, but it's generalizable to all healthcare education, is to make sure that within your curriculum, you have a dedicated course on leadership, because again, our goal is to educate the next leaders within our healthcare professions, and not only have a dedicated course on leadership, but make sure that that content is threaded through other courses, because leadership doesn't just start within one course. Students need to have the ability to use those skills as a leader, within their musculoskeletal courses, within their clinical courses, because that type of skill and that knowledge will only make them a better clinician. Whether they choose to become a leader with, with by association with a certain title, or whether they are a clinician who's a leader in their own right, a title doesn't make you a leader, but those skills that you learn to lead are generalizable to all aspects of your clinical and your physical therapy career, as well as in life in general. And I know that many programs don't necessarily have a dedicated course, much like many physical therapy programs don't have leadership development courses for faculty. That's something that needs to be revisited and make sure that it's integrated and implemented within our programs.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean. You know, uh, I hear so much that, oh, we can't include that. We don't have time, right? That We have so much we have to get in our curriculum for the NPT, so we just don't have time to include that. I think that's kind of a cop-out. I think if you can weave it into your everyday classes and curriculum, like I try to do that with, with business. I try to do that with leadership. Uh, you know, I definitely try to do that with teaching and learning now that I'm learning that I didn't know how to learn. So that's fun, right? Uh, you know, n- nothing like getting through a couple of graduate programs and into an EDD program not knowing how to learn. Right. So, you know, I feel like it's a cop out if we if we take the time and we find ways to get little nuggets and little tidbits in there along their curriculum. We have several touch points with these students that, you know, we should be able to kind of tap into and and give them little bits of knowledge that can help along the way uh, and and just show them that, hey, we need to learn how to, you know, lead as well. You know, we're we're, we're yeah, we're professors. We're here to teach and help you learn. But we. We need to do a good job about, you know, learning how to lead too. And I think, you know, a lot of uh, terminal degrees don't necessarily know how to teach, right? Because a lot of times they go into, you know, research right off the bat. And that's, you know, that's great. We need that. Uh, But teaching and learning is, is is a skill. And I think that, you know, It's same thing with, we talked about uh, before the the episode was management, right? We don't learn about management and all of a sudden you get thrust into a management position. Like just because those positions are there and you get put into them doesn't necessarily mean you're good at them. So I, I definitely love that, that take on things. And I love that aspect. Um, well, keeping with the, the ladies first theme tonight, we'll go to Fa- Farley Schweigert next, who is our physical therapist assistant specialist. Uh, I love this fact. We we have not done this yet, but every four to six weeks or so, we're going to have a PTA based episode uh, led by Farley. So Farley, take it away. Let us know a little bit about your academic journey and how it's led you to where you are today. Yes,
2: yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be part of this team. My um... My journey into academia is pretty unique. Um, I got my bachelor's degree at Oklahoma State in animal science and went on to PT school at Arkansas State University where I uh, my research advisor was Roy Aldridge and uh, he and I started the hippotherapy program at Arkansas State. And uh, I'm if you told me I'm going to say 10 years ago, but it's getting 10 plus years ago now that I've graduated, but we'll leave it there. Um, that I'd be back teaching at Arkansas state. I would have laughed at you, but so I went into outpatient orthopedics, um, back out in Oklahoma and, um, and that's my first love in physical therapy, um, is, is doing that. Um, you Find in my story that everything revolves around a horse. So I do rodeo sports medicine. I work on horses. Um, I run. I do hippotherapy. Um, <laughs> if, it, <laughs> if I can put a horse in it, I'm I'm your girl. I'm there. So I um, I moved back home to Arkansas, and uh, Roy called and and the dean um, that I had been the GA for and said, hey, we, we want you to come teach with us. And so I went to Arkansas State. Um, Roy at the time had been diagnosed with cancer. And so I was able to um, teach with him his last year and um kind of move through that. And so um my journey into academia was uh so the leadership programs that Don was talking about, <laughs> great, awesome, because um my introduction to academia was everything fell on my desk that it wasn't already on somebody else's desk. <laughs> and so <laughs> I um I became, I am the director of clinical education for the PTA program at Arkansas State. Um, we're one of the few um, programs in the country that have both DPT and PTA on the same campus. So we have some unique opportunities there. So I um, teach orthopedics for PTA along with doing the um, clinical education. And then I adjunct for the PT program um, where I run the hippotherapy research program and teach a special topics in orthopedics. Um, so it's kind of a, <laughs> my, my umbrella of things <laughs> always kind of comes back around oh. to the same, to the same place. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I think I know the answer to this already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What are your areas of specialty? What are your areas of interest? What, what do you like talking about? I, I think I kind of know the answer, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> so we do hypnotherapy research. That's a shocker number one. Everybody could probably answer this question by hearing the last story. Um, I, uh, am some of my other areas of interest are um, I just we're, we're working on a um, writing a study over body tempering. There's um, so not been a whole lot of research done with body tempering and um, dry needling, capping, class four laser. Um, and my newest adventure is musculoskeletal ultrasound. So I'm very excited, very excited to take pictures and all the things with that and get to learn that. So, uh, but research driven right now is really um, the hippotherapy. Um, it is probably the biggest part of my research agenda right at the moment.
0: Yeah, I love the fact that you guys have both PT and PTA on the same campus. That's that's very rare, and, and I think it's it's a great thing to have. So it'll be fun to kind of learn a little bit about that uh, aspect of things. Um, well, let's ask you the big question then. If, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, uh, what aspect would you change? Why would you change it? And how would you change it?
3: So
2: was thinking about that you know from what we were talking about before we went on air and i i think my answer to that would be and i had a better i had better words for it here a minute ago but it would be collaboration um, between professionals without the elitism um i in the barn i run a, a an interprofessional program with OTD and DPT students and we bring in, um, we, we, we're getting it fine tuned to where we bring in OTA and PTA to help be standardized patients as well. So we, we got all the peoples in the barn with the horses, but um, collaboration without elitism. And I think and, and I'm sure other people have better ways to say that and better ideas about that. But what I mean by that is we all get into this field to help people. And so the box checking or the chip on the shoulder of I'm better than you or I'm not. And if we, we all put our pants on the same way this morning. Some of us may have fallen over with their balance, but um, there is a... Um, Let's just become the goal is to help people. And and I think the art of physical therapy is meeting people where they are. and, And everybody wants to be seen. And so and higher education, if we can start working on some of those soft skills a little bit better. And I don't really know the answer to that. Um, as I, I try different things with my students just sprinkled out throughout my classes, um, because this, uh, this next generation has a lot of great things going for them. But some of this, I, I, don't, I don't know how to capture it as well as we need to.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, part of the reason this podcast was started, right, was to break down silos amongst the healthcare professionals so that we could all work together and collaborate and find best practices, especially when it came to education and our programs. And, you know, we know the the med students are, are in a different track and we know the nursing students are in a different track and we know OT's doing their thing, but like, you know, we could... I I like to call it intellectual trespassing, right? We can borrow a little from over here and oh, that sounds cool. We should try that. No, I like that. Let's bring that, you know? Oh, that didn't work. Let's stay away from that one, right? Like, you know, that, that, that was our goal with this when we first started was just to like, Let's just all talk about you know general education and healthcare, and let's see what's working and what's not. Uh, obviously, we focus a little more heavily on the the, the physical therapy profession, just because that's where all of our co-hosts started, and, and now it all you know where our co-hosts are currently. But you know we're we're not afraid to to listen into some of the other healthcare professions as well. So I appreciate that take. Um, next up, Dr. Lonnie Stewart. Lonnie, take it away, man. Let's uh, hear about your academic journey and where it
3: led you to today. Sure thing. I, it's so, I'm so grateful to be here with uh, everybody on this podcast as a new co-host. And uh, I, I feel like my academic journey, uh, you have to begin it when I became academically aware. I was a horrible student in high school. I was a horrible student until about junior year in college. I went to uh, Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, where I was an art history major, so no sciences. Uh, And it wasn't until I did a research project on Henry Hobson Richardson, who was an architect uh, in the late 19th century, uh, a style called Rundbogenstiel or the Romanesque revival. And so he did the uh, Trinity Church in Boston, but he also had these uh, little uh, libraries around um, Massachusetts, and uh, there's one at University of Vermont, uh, where I... It was the first time I really uh, investigated something by going into archives and seeing original uh, letters that were going back and forth. And some of them were hilarious. People that, that had uh, hired Henry Hobson Richardson thought he was a real humbug, they said. And my professor loved that. And I, I, I just enjoyed the process of research. So I found something that sort of lit my intellectual flame. And I was so grateful for that. Um, but then ap- upon graduating, I came to New York City and uh, did fundraising. I could write, so I did fundraising for grant proposals for an arts organization called The Kitchen, and this was during a time when there were a lot of cutbacks in the early 90s uh, um, against the, uh, the National Endowment for the Arts. I became an actor for 10 years, uh, and uh, toward near, near the year 2000, I was doing voiceover work, um, and uh, so I was doing voiceover work for commercials. I was the first voice of Verizon wireless. Uh, that was after James Earl Jones was, uh, the voice for bell Atlantic, which was really kind of amazing. And we had a strike. We had a six month strike during which I was a cap, a strike captain. And after that strike, uh, the economy was terrible. I couldn't get any work. And my wife and I were thinking, how could I pivot? How could I change? And after a lot of uh, personal work with a vocational counselor, we settled on physical therapy. I'm making a real long story short, just so we can get to the end of it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I went back to school to, to get a post-bacc, uh, post-baccalaureate degree at NYU. And my mind just opened up. Uh, I had a real tough time with chemistry at first, but once I threw myself into the work and really cared about it, uh, the professor said I had to do the homework three times if I really wanted to do well. And I started, to, I thought he was crazy, but I started to do that. When I began to understand how things worked on each side of these equations, like I started to do well, and it just snowballed from there. Um, I was lucky to go to uh, Columbia University's program in physical therapy. And after that, I trained at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in West Orange, New Jersey. And why that's important is because I became the clinical lead for the inpatient orthopedic program and we used students. We used over two years, we used 12 different students to help do research on what were best practices. And this research was pretty lean on, uh, on, uh, uh, on acute care of uh, total knee replacement, total hip replacement, hip fracture and lumbar laminectomy infusion without any neurological signs and symptoms. And what I enjoyed about that is I got to work with a lot of students. We got to make changes to how patient care happened across the three Kessler hospital sites. And uh, it sort of set the tone for me of what's possible to do with students in the clinical environment to really make some lasting and meaningful change. Um, It was a surprise to me and at that time, I was starting to do some lab instructor work at Columbia. And one day, uh, Debbie Krasinski, who's presently the director, said, uh, would you like to teach a course? And I, this is in the middle of class. And I knew I had about three seconds to make a decision. I said, yes, of course. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> but, uh, and she also suggested that I go uh, get a PhD, um, uh, which I was not prepared to hear that advice but I'm presently getting my PhD at Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions uh, in health promotion and wellness. And so now I'm a director of clinical education at, at Columbia University. I'm an assistant professor of rehab and regenerative medicine. Uh, I'm a, a geriatric certified specialist, that's my jam. And uh, I, clinical education, I have found, uh, I've found a real purpose in life. I, I, I enjoy it. I also enjoy all the problem solving that's involved with it too. Which means sometimes I'm on call twenty four seven, which is yeah, fine. Well, Long story. I might longer, complain, but I like it. I like the problem solving.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I a love the diversity of this group. First off, b I love the fact that none of us are exercise science or physiology undergrads. Right, I was an English major, so you know my stories. I thought my journey was was a, a, a diluted one, but you know, Lonnie, you've been all over the map. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, I, I love this. I love it. I, I think we're going to be able to, to bring a lot of great stories to you guys because uh, of our diverse backgrounds. And I think, uh, you know, that leads us to our next question of, you know, you love clinical education. Obviously, that's that's your purpose. What are, what are some areas of interest? What are some things that uh, that you like hearing about or learning about? What are uh, some things that you've got you're working on? Obviously, aside from the dissertation you got on the back sure. right, <laughs> right now?
3: Aside from that, uh, well, I'm, I'm really interested, and this does align with my dissertation, aging in place in, in uh, the unique environment of New York City. We are so stacked on top of one another, um, which was bad during the pandemic, right? You don't wanna be here during a pandemic, but what is, this, uh, what is this environment like to age in place? And we call it now aging in community because you realize you can't just do it alone. You can be stuck in place Right, if you don't have a network to to help support that. Um, I'm presently uh, president and board chair of a community group of older adults who want to help each other age in place. I'm not quite sure that, uh, if it will survive through the year, but that's a different topic. So I'm interested in New York City as an interesting environment to age in place. Cause I think if you have the money to do it or the support to do it, it's probably a great place to do it. One of the things I'm looking at is uh, life space, which is essentially how far outside of your bedroom do you travel in a month? Uh, and in New York City, you probably could do pretty well with a, what's called a limited life space. <laughs> you probably, if you just go into the grocery store uh, two, two blocks away, you don't have to have a big life space to do pretty well. Um, I'm also interested in, uh, I'm, a, I'm the, um, uh, I had COVID in 2020 and I'm convinced that this is why I lose my words. That's what I'm going to blame it on. But um, I am the advisor for a student run elective, student run elective at, at Columbia and so I'm interested in how students in a, in a PT curriculum can actually at least um, own a bit of that space in and, and a student-centered sort of curriculum. What does that, that mean?
0: We actually did an episode with you guys uh, earlier on the HET podcast. So go check that out. We'll drop that link in the show notes for sure. You can uh, oh, see, see Lonnie's episode on on the student-run elective. It was a great episode. We had some of the students on. Uh, Lonnie, was I know much more of...
3: about what I'm talking about now.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> ho- I, I would hope so, right? Would, we all, we all right. kind of learn little by little. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a year and a half into teaching, and I, I feel like I've learned a ton in just that year and a half. So, uh, you know, complete career shift. Obviously, I didn't realize it was going to be that drastic, even though everybody warned me. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. I got this. And then I got there, and I was like, no, I don't got this. Okay, let's learn. You, you got to love to learn. You got to love yeah. to learn. Yeah, and I do. Right? I think a lot yeah. of us do. I think we're all here because yep. we're lifelong learners. So. Yeah. Um, well, Lonnie, let's wrap up then with the final question. Uh, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change? Why would you change it? And how would you change it?
3: Something that's been on my mind recently, I think uh, when I was in social media and looking at chat groups about uh, clinical education, there was a lot of complaining about why am I not being paid for having a student? What what do I get out of it? Um, uh And I don't I don't know if this is uh, I don't think it's a majority view, but I wonder how we can change the relationship of clinicians, uh, even new clinicians and even seasoned clinicians with respect to a a responsibility for teaching. Now, I understand and that maybe that's just Pollyannish of me to think that, you know, um, this we should all be so altruistic. Yes, resident MDs, uh, their supervisors are paid in part by Medicare. Uh, we don't have that kind of system for PT students. And I, I think students would uh, be burdened with the, the, f- the financial cost of doing that. But how can we make it work for everybody and make it valuable climbing the ladder in uh, climbing a leadership ladder? Uh, you know, how can we make uh, integrate them into because I know it was integrated in my last workplace where I couldn't move up the next ladder unless I had one to two students a year. Uh, and produce something from that. So what are the systems we can put in place to have people like really want to have students and knowing that some people really don't want to have students and that's okay. (laughs) Well, I can't thank
0: you guys enough for coming on tonight and taking the time to introduce yourselves. Like I said, I can't wait to hear uh, what we have coming down the pipeline. So, uh, you know, Uh, tune into the new HET podcast episodes and uh, look forward to hearing from these co-hosts and uh, please interact with us on social media, reach out, tag us, you know, talk to us. We love answering questions and getting back to people and interacting. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one of our goals here is to, to kind of, find some best practices in both learning and teaching for both students and professors. And uh, if we can uh, help, if not answer, I know a lot of times I don't know the answer, but I know the person who does and I can send you to them. So uh, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from our listeners and uh, we'll see you on the next episode.